From sinking sand he lifted me, with tender hand he lifted me, from shades of night to plains of light, oh praise his name, he lifted me. He called me long before I heard, before my sinful heart was stirred. But when I took him at his word, forgiven he lifted me. From sinking sand he lifted me, with tender hand he lifted me. From shades of night to plains of light, oh praise his name, he lifted me. His brow was pierced with many a thorn, his hands by cruel nails were torn. When from my guilt and grief forlorn, in love he lifted me. From sinking sand he lifted me, with tender hand he lifted me. From shades of night to plains of light, oh, praise his name, he lifted me. Now on a higher plane I dwell, and with my soul I know tis well. Yet how or why I cannot tell, he should have lifted me. From sinking sand he lifted me, with tender hand he lifted me. From shades of night to plains of light, oh praise his name, he lifted me. Amen. Then over to number 450. 450, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Amen. That is a good question to be answered. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? We'll sing all three verses, number 450. There will never be a sweeter story, story of the Savior's love divine, love that brought Him from the realms of glory, just to save a sinful soul like mine. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful, it is wonderful. Oh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful it is to me. Boundless as the universe around me, reaching to the farthest soul away. Saving, keeping love it was that found me. That is why my heart can truly say, Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful, it is wonderful. Oh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful it is to me. Love beyond our human comprehending. Love of God in Christ, how can it be? This will be my theme and never-ending, great redeeming love of Calvary. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful, it is wonderful. Oh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful it is to me. 
All right, Brother Michael, if you would mind, come on up and uh, take a few moments and share with us what God's doing down there and uh, a little bit about why you're up here and doing some things here. Well, good evening, everybody. Yeah. Um, like I just said, my name is Michael, and uh, I'm actually from DeSoto, Missouri, and Brother Dan is actually... Uh, my former pastor, and he still is my pastor. <laughs> and um, but it's we came here to Brazil. Um, we've actually been in Brazil for about two and a half years. Um, normally, missionaries take their furlough after four years, uh, but we've been encouraged to do the first three years, and then after that, four years. Um, so that way, you give yourself time to visit with the family and different things. Um, but we kind of had a situation, and last year, probably, um, well, actually beginning of January, uh, we actually combined with a, a hearing church, and we have a deaf church that are together. They're on the same property. But the hearing church have their own church service, and the deaf have their own church service. So we're two complete different churches, but just on the same property. Well, we found out that the hearing sold their property. Uh, we did not know anything about that. So they had actually sold it, and they said we're going to be moving to another property in one year. So we have about one year to move out. So um, we were actually supposed to come on furlough, but the other missionary that we work with, they have an older daughter that they need to put into college. So we were, like, debating, you know, what are we going to do? Who's going to go on furlough? Um, but then the coronavirus happened, and that kind of put more pressure on what's going to happen. Um, so we decided that it would be best if me and my family came here for two months and just kind of visit with some families in our home church and take care of some things, and then we go back, then this missionary will come here and um, do their fellow for one year, and we'll take care of the church there for one year. And then when he comes back from fellow, we'll come back here for fellow. Um, so it, it kind of, it kind of, sound like it's complicated, but it's not. Um, but our church, um, if some of you don't know, we, when we first moved to Brazil, we moved to a certain city that was north of Sao Paulo, and there's where we started the ministry. But I have been praying for a long time that I wasn't getting the language learning like I wanted to, but to help you understand, sign language and reading and writing Portuguese are two different languages. So we have to learn both languages. So we have to learn the Brazilian sign language and then you got to learn the reading and writing Portuguese. So the reading and the writing Portuguese is what I was struggling with for about a year. The sign language, I already, I learned that. I, I started preaching when I first arrived there in six months in Brazil. I was already preaching for one year. But I had to study a lot to learn uh, the PowerPoint and the, the Portuguese language and everything. So it was, it was doing really well. But I didn't feel like I was getting enough. So I prayed about it, and we moved about six hours south to Sao Paulo, and that's the largest city in Brazil. They have a language school specifically for the missionaries. So we moved there, and we've been there for right now probably about a year in Sao Paulo. Now, some people say, are you going to move back, or are you going to stay? Well, the national pastor in the former city said, don't come back. He said, because we already have a deaf pastor here, and the deaf are like six or seven in number. 
So I've been kind of praying and I'm, I'm feeling the Lord leading and staying in Sao Paulo because it's a huge, I mean, it's bigger than New York City. And um, right now we already have a, we already have like a sister church about maybe two and a half hours away from us at the Dutch church as well. So the three of us together, the pastor, we, we kind of like move around. So like I'll be in Sao Paulo preaching and then the other guy goes on furlough and then this pastor comes to Aruja, he takes care of the church and so it just kind of works out with just the three of us working together and we already know the sign language and so that's what we're doing is we're trying to work and rotate. Now the goal is to start four more churches in Sao Paulo on like northeast, southeast, northwest, southwest. Um, because there are just too many, many deaf people that live in Sao Paulo. And that's our goal of what we're praying about is starting more churches in the, the bigger city of Sao Paulo. Um, so right now, like I said, we're here. My wife and, and my, my two daughters are not here um, because in Brazil, it's two hours ahead. So right now, my girls would already be sleeping. So when I bring them to church, they'd be cranky and they want to go to sleep. And so it's just better, like my wife said, that's just stay in the hotel and I'll just come here. Um, but we are planning on doing a one-year furlough next year. Um, so that could be an option, just something to consider for us to come back. Um, so uh, we're just here visiting family. So just, just pray for us as we go back. You may have heard about the Brazil ban. It doesn't affect us because we're U.S. citizens, but it doesn't affect us going to Brazil. And even if you come back from Brazil to here, it doesn't affect U.S. citizens. Um, so the ban is only for 30 days. Um, so it, we'll be flying out in July 21st. Um, so it doesn't affect us at all. Um, but like I said, the Lord has really been moving. We've had a lot of people saved. Um, just in the last four days, we've had five people saved. Why we've been here, but they've been there. Um, even up north, we have three deaths that don't have any church. But since we've been doing our live video, we've had a lot of deaf people all across Brazil contact us, contact and say, I want, to, I want more, I want to teach more. So we do our doctrine classes on, wind, on Thursday night and then our regular services on uh, Sunday. So we live stream everything. Even if we didn't have the coronavirus, we still live stream everything just to give the deaf an opportunity to hear the gospel. We had three deaths that were up north all the way up to the top of Brazil that contacted us, one of the ladies was going to kill herself. She was on the bus going to the ocean, ready to throw herself in the ocean. And the other missionary's wife and another lady from my church contacted and contacted her. They finally got a hold of her, and they just started talking. And for two hours, they witnessed to her, and she got saved. Well, like two days later, she had two other deaths that live in her house, and she's like, you know, I need, I need somebody to witness to this guy, you know. So I came on a Sunday night. And I, I, I talked with him for two hours, and I witnessed, and I witnessed with him. Well, he got saved. Then two days later, they had another deaf lady that was in their house, and they said, well, she's sleeping now, but can you contact her later? And we said, yeah, sure. So two days later, she contacted me, and I pulled up, and same thing, two hours, I witnessed, and I witnessed, and I witnessed, and she got saved. So there's three deaf way up north that got saved, and they're like, they're like, teachers, we need some Bible school. And I'm like, pray somebody go up there and become a pastor or something because um, they need people up there uh, to witness to them. Um, 
So the Lord's really moving. We're just, um, right now, we're just praying because I'll be honest, there's only four workers that I know that are really sound doctrines, workers for men that can preach. And that's just, we're all Americans. Um, but they don't have any Brazilian pastors right now, unless you're another denomination. Um, but just pray for Brazil just to raise up uh, labor. Um, this is the verse that I have been kind of keeping my focus on. Uh, it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, it says, Whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man, in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So we have this excitement of going out and witnessing and getting souls saved. That's a great thing. But that's not complete. We still have to disciple them, and they have to become trained men and women to be able to do more to disciple others. So we don't want to just see like souls saved and that's it. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. we got to train them to become more workers for the deaf in Brazil because, you know, we can't reach everybody. Um, so like I said, just pray for Brazil. Um, the Lord is still working. We're having a revival right now, it seems like. And um, uh, like I said, we're in a deaf church. It's deaf run. It's just everything on its own. We have our own services, but we need more. And um, so just pray for that. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you for that update. I got a new cell phone out of it. <laughs> so, all right. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 4. And uh, before we get into our lesson tonight, we'll have a few moments to mention prayer requests. And uh, or blessings, maybe some answers to prayer that God's done for you or something God's done in your life this week that's been a, an encouragement or a blessing. I'll uh, be glad to hear those too. Um, do be in prayer for Brother Bob Schwabert. I got word yesterday that he had taken a fall and broke his leg and is in Jefferson Hospital, uh, Jefferson Mercy. So pray for him and uh, as he recovers from that. Uh, also, June Bolin talked to... Excuse me. Talked to me yesterday, and she was unable to have her chemo again because of her platelet count being too low. And so, continue to pray for that, if you will. Um, I did not know this Sunday, but Miss Kim was sharing with me that the Uber driver Debbie that we've been praying for that had cancer went home to be with the Lord this week. And so, uh, it's certainly a sorrowful thing for the family. So we want to be in prayer for them for God's comfort. But you know, knowing. Uh, that people are saved brings a peace, doesn't it? And the fact that she is healed from the, the cancer and no more pain. And we thank the Lord for uh, the, the hope and the peace that being saved brings. Don't, aren't we glad of that? That in the middle of sorrow, we can still have peace and joy. And um, I do ask that you pray for the family. Obviously, during a time like this, it's uh, we don't sorrow usually because... Uh, uh, we want to bring them back, but usually because we know we're going to miss them. And so pray for pray for her family, if you will. Um, also continue to pray for Miss Linda and Brother Richard's sister who's got uh, the cancer as well. And um, your brother, Ron. And, and that's the one you guys went to see, right? This week, I was assuming. Is that the only brother you have? You got Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. All right. But uh, continue to pray for their brother, Ron, uh, who has congestive heart failure. And uh, so pray for that. 
Um, pray for my sister who's still undergoing some tests uh, for a cyst that they found. Uh, the first thing they tested on her liver that um, they had found another area of concern uh, came back benign, so we thank the Lord for that. Uh, but another cyst that they're worried about and they're doing some testing on that, we're praying for that still. All right. Any other prayer requests tonight? Yes, ma'am. <coughs> Yes, Kim Coulter, and she did call me the other day, and God provided some uh, antibiotics for her, so that was a blessing, an uh, answer to prayer. But do pray for Kim. She, she is sick. She came by Saturday and I had prayer with her. Uh, she just was not doing real well there and uh, didn't feel good. So, All right, anybody else? Pray for the building to sell uh, over at Beacon Baptist. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. An unspoken request. Are there any other unspoken requests? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All right. Eight unspoken requests. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. I didn't catch the last part. Okay. All right. So praise the Lord. Uh, God's been good recently. We've seen a lot of answers to prayer. And I say recently, God's always good, isn't it? Brother Harold and I joke sometimes because we'll be talking about uh, some scripture we're reading or something, and we'll say, boy, that's a really good verse, as if the others are not. But they all are, and we thank the Lord for it. But uh, always a joy to see an answer to prayer, and we thank the Lord for it. All right, anything else? Anything else? All right. Brother Dan, would you mind leading us in prayer tonight for the prayer time?
Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles to Luke chapter number 4. And we're going to give just a, in a nutshell review of the last two Wednesday nights. Uh, this is our third week dealing with living our lives by Bible principles. And just want to kind of give everybody a catch-up review real quick and uh, kind of the thimble version of it. Um, but in Luke chapter number 4, we find that uh, Jesus has been sent to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit um, to be tempted uh, during this time. And he each time deals with the temptation by quoting Scripture. And uh, if you look with me in verse number 3, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will give it, I will. Uh, if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him up on a pinnacle of the temple. And said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, it's interesting that Satan uses Scripture here. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, and just said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And we've spent some time the last couple of weeks dealing with the importance of living our lives by the principles of God's Word. One of the uh, Baptist tenets, one of the things we hold to that we cherish, and in fact it's probably one of the most sacred ones that we hold to, is that the Bible is our sole authority. Uh, it's not the Bible and some other man. Uh, we don't believe there is continuing revelation given to different people. We don't believe that there are continuing prophecies. Uh, but God has given us His full and complete revelation in Scripture. Because we believe that, in order for our doctrine to be pure, we believe we must have a pure Word of God, one that is inerrant, uh, one that is inspired, and one that is preserved, and we believe that to be in the King James Version of Scripture. And the reason we hold to that is, if our Word of God is corrupt, and that's where our doctrine comes from, then there's the chance our doctrine would be corrupt. So we must have a sure foundation. And uh, we come to this point in uh, uh, chapter 4 of Luke, where even Jesus Himself in His earthly ministry, when it came time for decisions to be made in His life, lived His life, by what the Word of God said. It's interesting because He was the Word. The Bible says in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And yet He lived when He came to this earth. The Bible says He humbled Himself and became obedient and was made in the likeness of flesh uh, and in the likeness of man. And so He, he uh, brought Himself under the subjection of His own Word. And He was trying by example to teach us some things of how to deal with uh, the instances of life, just the circumstances of life. We live in a day, and I was a youth pastor for a lot of years uh, with teenagers, and one of the things that uh, I was always appalled by was how many times the young people would base their, uh, their concept or their understanding of right and wrong on what they were allowed to do. And I, I came across that one time I, I, where I had a young person that uh, was in our youth program and their parents allowed them to do some things that were contrary to God's Word. 
And so I began to teach on the idea that at some point, as we mature in the Christian life, we need to make a determination and a purposing in our hearts that I'm not going to live my life by what I'm allowed to do uh, by man's approval, but I'm going to uh, base my life, my principles, my standards, my character, my, my, my character of my life on the principles of the Word of God and something that is not changing. Um, we, we stay separated from the world. We believe there ought to be a separation. We ought not to be in the world, uh, love the world or the things that are in the world. We think we ought to come out from among them, be separate. Not because we're better than they are, but because we have a holy God that we're in love with that has done so much for us that we love Him with all of our hearts. And we want to please Him. We want to also be a light to this world and show them that there's a God that loves them. And uh, so uh, we do all these things uh, trying to establish not our distance from the world, but trying to establish our life on the principles of God's Word, which are not changing. So we know this. This is not something new, mostly to people who have been in churching a length of time. It's not a new concept. But uh, one of the things that we struggle with many times, I believe, is developing our principles. Some of us rely on coming to church to get our Bible principles. We expect the pastor or our Sunday school teachers uh, to spoon-feed God's Word's principles to us. And while I think that there is a time for that in services when we preach, there are times that we need to do those things. Uh, I would also go out to say, and even Brother Michael was talking about it, uh, the, the concept of discipling, the concept of uh, teaching and building them after they're saved, to teach God's people to go to the Word of God and to find principles as they read Scripture. Uh, we're only in church a very small amount of time a week, if you think about it. Very minimal amount of time. If all you're doing is relying on the things that you learn from church to guide you in your life, then you're going to be starving to death spiritually. So I want to not only give you things in, in church that are principles, but I also want to teach you how to find principles in Scripture. And then lastly, uh, we're dealing with the idea of then how do we apply those principles? Because it's amazing to me, I found uh, at a very young age that I had a lot of knowledge of Bible principles. I grew up in a pastor's home, and to be honest with you, uh, you know, I could be on a Bible quiz team and people wanted me to I had a lot of knowledge of it, but to my shame, there was very little application of it. And for many years, it took, it took a long time uh, to get to a place where I realized, man, this has got to make it from what I know to what I am inwardly. It's got to make it into my life. And so I want to try to help with some things there. Uh, and I'm going to give you some things that have helped me uh, to apply these principles to our lives. And I think there's some things that God's Word tells us about it. There's four things we've said that are very, very crucial that we cannot forget. Number one, every day you and I are involved in a spiritual warfare. Satan is out to get us. He's trying to get us to, uh, to uh, ruin our testimony, ruin our life. Secondly, every day we're either going to triumph in that, in that battle or we're going to be defeated in that battle. Number three, God desires for us to have victory every day in that battle. And number four, we can only be victorious as we know and live by Bible principles. By the way, let me just drop this in here. Uh, let's not get caught up in this thing of picking and choosing which principles we like to follow and which ones we don't. Have you ever, you ever caught yourself doing that? I have. There's times, there's times I've been like, boy, that's a tough one. I, I think I'm just going to push that one off to the side. Um, I've said it so often before, the biggest sins in the world are the sins that other people have. Uh, they're never our own, right? 
And sometimes that holds true with principles. We find our favorite ones, the ones we like to live by. But those other ones, you know, we kind of put them in a drawer. We don't talk about those very often. But can I tell you this? When God's Word teaches us a principle, we need to, uh, to purpose in our hearts to live by it. To say, that's what the Bible says, and I'm going to, I'm going to live by it. So how do we find these, these principles? Uh, we talked about the different types that there were. And if we understand what kinds of principles there are, it helps us to find them. There are explicit ones that are verbally written, and there's no question about them. Um, the, the, the verse, be holy, for I am holy. There's not a whole lot you can read into that. There's, there's, really, the application takes care of itself. Uh, be ye holy, for I am holy. There's no uh, scratching your head wondering what God means. Then there are implied ones. There are ones that talk about, what know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. And the idea that we are not to do anything to defile the temple of God, uh, that's a principle. But it's got many applications to it. Uh, we could talk about uh, what, why, where in the Bible does it talk about uh, not smoking cigarettes or not smoking. Uh, I remember years ago, Mark Twain said that uh, smoking, giving up smoking was the easiest thing he'd ever done in his life. He'd done it hundreds of times. And um, there are principles of Scripture that would lend itself to that. Uh, and, and, you know, we... We would look at those and we say that's a principle that God gave because He knew that there would be changing things in society that would affect us. And there needed to be some principles to govern those things. Uh, drinking alcohol certainly is mentioned in Scripture. Uh, the idea of um, overeating, <laughs> that's my big problem. Um, and living by Bible principle. These things that would uh, be detrimental to the temple of God. The idea that sometimes we're brought under the power of something, some influence. Uh, it may be uh, we are addicted to some things. Maybe it would be uh, in the day we live, it's a very real thing to be addicted to social media. Uh, there are very real addictions for things that we seemingly would not think that people could be addicted to. Um, and so we've got to be so careful of these things. So we have some, some principles that are given to us that are implied and can be applied to uh, various areas of our life. And then we have inferred uh, principles. Those are a little bit more tricky. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But there are some where you uh, will find something that um, is not even explicitly spoken about, but there's a principle there to be found. And uh, so I want to uh, give you some of those things. Uh, the illustration that I gave uh, for an inferred principle is the story of Abraham uh, taking Isaac up to Mount Moriah and uh, uh, building the altar there. And God had told him that he was to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. By the way, God will never go against his character. You notice that God did not allow Abraham to go through with it. These people that come out today and, and murder somebody and say, God told me to do it, God didn't tell him to do it. And, um, but we find that, that when it comes to that particular story, there's an inferred principle. And the principle is this, that when it comes to obedience to God, obedience to God, that even our family becomes second in importance. Our primary importance individually is that we have a walk with God. It is our first and foremost priority of life. And um, by the way, uh, be careful confusing giving God first place and giving ministry first place because I've seen a lot of people put ministry ahead of their families and lose their families. 
And uh, so be careful of that. God must have first place, no doubt about it. So uh, understand those things. And uh, all right, so we dealt with those things and, and taught about those. Now, last week we dealt with how do we find these principles in Scripture. Um, <coughs> the first way we find them is we must read God's Word. You say, Brother Greg, that's obvious. But the truth is, over 35%, that's a pretty high number, I'm sorry, over 45% of people who say they have trusted Christ as their Savior uh, fall into the category of either seldom or never reading Scripture. 45%. When I, when I found that out, uh, I was shocked by that. I, I had several surveys that all were within a range there of about 40 to 50%. The kind of the general consensus was that 45% of those that say they're Christians and trust in Christ as their Savior do not regularly read Scripture. Now, if it's important for us to live our life by Bible principle and not by what society tells us to do. By the way, if you live by what society says is right or wrong, uh, boy, we're going to have a messed up life, aren't we? Uh, it's getting worse and worse. They're calling evil good and good evil and criticizing people that take a stand against those things. Uh, we've got to be careful of that. But if we're going to live life by Bible principle, then we've got to know what those principles are. So we've got to read Scripture. And uh, the importance of not just going through a Bible reading schedule and checking off our daily reading time, but spending time, number two, spending time or lingering on God's Word. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8, uh, it talks about meditating therein day and night. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. In Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate day and night. And the importance that not only we read through Scripture, if you're like I am, um, I, I grew up as a young man, I, I, I'm sure, before this was back before they knew what ADD was, I was ADD. And uh, they had a cure for it back then. It was not Ritalin. It was Dad's belt. It took care of a lot of the ADD. And, uh, <laughs> but I get distracted real easy. I'll be sitting in the middle of talking about something or, or, or reading something. I'll be like, look, squirrel. <laughs> uh, and there are times I'll be sitting to read Scripture, and I'll read through a paragraph, and I will have read every word of it. But I will not have understood or remembered any bit of what I read. My mind was so far away from what I was doing. Now, I know not everybody's mind works that way, but a lot of us we do. We get through the reading and we've not really sought and thought, sat and thought of what it was saying. So when we read Scripture, secondly, we need to linger and meditate on that Scripture. We need to understand the principles that are there. And when we read Scripture, look for God in the Scriptures. I, I, I fear so often that the Christian's love for God, generally speaking, in the day that we live has grown very cold because we do not know Him. I'm not saying we don't know about Him. I'm saying we do not know Him real well. When I was when I was dating, when I was a teenager, and I, there was a young lady that I liked, uh, I wanted to get to know her. I wanted to spend time with her. My mom and dad had to limit the time that we spent on the phone. You remember those days? You pick up the phone, you call each other, you tell everybody, tell each other all you know in like three minutes, 
And for the next hour, you just sit there, not even talking, but you're on the phone with them. And the idea was, I've got their attention. We're spending that time together. And can I tell you this, that we get to know God, we love God more when we get to know God more. And the idea of not rushing into God's presence and rushing out of God's presence. Um, Daniel Nash, I've mentioned him a few times years ago. Uh, he was an old Congregationalist preacher. It was a powerless, dry... Uh, this fellow couldn't preach his way or pray his way out of a wet paper sack. I mean, just... Um, Charles Finney, just when he was getting started in evangelist work, uh, happened to come into a meeting where Daniel Nash was praying. And by Charles Finney's own admittance in his own biography, he mentioned the first time he ever met Daniel Nash, and he said, he's, he said, I did not even know who he was speaking to and came to find out later he was praying. This is how powerless this man was. Uh, several years after that, that occurrence, that meeting, Daniel Nash uh, had a, uh, an eye problem come where he, has, he had a sensitivity to light. And he had to go into a room, a darkened room, where he could not have any light for almost a month. And it was during that time where he was in almost pitch black for 24 hours a day for almost a month that God revolutionized his prayer life. Daniel Nash came out of that house and he went and met with Brother Finney. He said, Brother Finney, if you'll allow me to for the remaining years that God gives me, he said, I would like to know where you're going to preach and I would like to go a few days or a week or so before, and I'd like to begin praying for the meetings. And so he and another young man by the name of Abel Clary would go into town a week or so before Brother Finney was to get there. And they would begin praying. One occasion, they had rented a cellar from a lady and were down in the cellar. And when Brother Finney came to town, the lady met him and said, Sir, do you know who Daniel Nash is? And he said, Yes, ma'am, I do. She said, I wish you would go and check on him. He's been there for several days. And there's groanings and, and, and sounds in there. He sounds like he's in distress, yet he won't answer the door at any hour of the day or night. And Charles Finney said, you let him alone. He's wrestling with God in prayer. And Daniel Nash was known to go without food. People would have to come into the room many times and lift him up off of his feet or on his, onto his feet because he had no strength left, for he had exhausted himself in prayer. Brother Finney would begin the meetings, and Brother Nash many times would not attend the service. He would just simply walk in at the beginning, and he would say, usually he's not here yet, and he would turn and walk back to his prayer room. And that may go on for two or three or four nights of the meeting, and then finally one night Daniel Nash would say he's here. Brother Finney said, In all the years that Brother Nash did this, I never knew him to be mistaken, for on that very night the power of God would fall. And sinners would come to repentance. Great revivals. One in Rochester, New York, that took place it had only been scheduled for, I think it was a week or ten days, and they ended up staying for four weeks. Because in that four-week time period, 100,000 people trusted Christ as their Savior. That continued for seven years. And when Daniel Nash died after seven years of traveling with Brother Finney, 
Brother Finney continued for about another three months, and then he took a pastorate because he said the revivals are over. I say all that to say this. We need to learn to linger in God's presence. We live in such a busy world. We long for revival. We long for God to do great, great works. But we're too busy. We're too consumed with other things. How do we learn these principles? We spend time with Him in His Word. We meditate on it. I want to give you several things here. And uh, we gave you these quickly last week, and we'll, we'll jump into the new material here in just a moment. Number one, you need to bathe the time that you spend in prayer. You need to bathe the time that you spend in God's Word with prayer. Before you ever sit down to read it, to study it, spend time in prayer. Asking the Holy Spirit to guide and to bear witness and show us the truth. Number two, keep a written record of it along with the reference. If your brain is like mine is, it leaks. And we need to write it down. Number three, you need to have a place. uh, I'm sorry, you need to have a set time to study it, have a, a purpose time. And if something happens and you miss it today, if there's a set time, it's a whole lot easier to get back on it tomorrow and pick up where you left off. But have a set time. Uh, have a set place that is void of distractions. Don't, don't pick a place in front of the television set. Uh, get alone with God. Have a time that is a place that is free from distraction. Number four, or number whatever we're on, number five, always compare the principle that you find with the rest of Scripture. It will never contradict. If we find a principle and it contradicts with something else in Scripture, then we've got something wrong. God's Word is not wrong. We are. We come to it with the understanding that God's Word does not have an error in it. It is not going to contradict itself. If there's a problem, it is in our side of things. So every principle we find, we want to compare with the rest of Scripture to make sure that it is in within keeping of that. All right, next one, keep a dictionary handy. Keep a dictionary handy. I recommend the Webster's 1828. It's got the old English words that are used that... Very few of them uh, in, in this particular book that we hold in our hands. Uh, we don't know the meaning to, or they may be used a little bit differently uh, today than they were used back then, and the Webster's 1828 will help shed light on that. Be patient, but be persistent. Be patient, but be persistent. You may come to God's Word and not find a principle today. You may not find one at all this week. I, I'd find that hard to believe, but you may. Don't give up on it. Keep after it. And then number 10, or whatever number one, develop a way to incorporate that principle into everyday life. All right? And that's kind of where we left off last week. We got six minutes left, so we're going to give you the whole message in six, six minutes. No, we're going we're gonna to get it done here. All right? So how do we, how do we uh, incorporate these principles? Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, how we incorporate these principles. Number one, uh, this was something that was a help to me, and I wish I could claim it as my idea, but I actually heard another evangelist that was preaching at our church one time mention this just in passing in a sermon, and it was such a great, great help to me. And he said this. He said, when we find a truth in God's Word, put it in the form of a question. 
If we can put them in the form of a question, it helps us to make application to our lives. So, for instance, we talked about this last week. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to several passages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 12. Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Expedient gives the idea of having the best advantage for victory, the home field or the home court advantage, if you will. Uh, so while it may be lawful for me, uh, maybe it's something that a Christian can do, not everything is expedient for us. And so there's a principle of Scripture, and the principle of Scripture is, is it expedient? That becomes a question now that I ask in my life. Is what I'm getting ready to do expedient? Several weeks ago, I enjoy, uh, and if you're anti-gun, forgive me for that, but I like guns. I enjoy guns. I enjoy shooting. And uh, there's a new gun I was wanting to buy, and I would saved a little bit, and I had some money in my pocket. I took a particular person from this church to help be the, the, uh, the negative side and to say, no, don't get it, Pastor. Don't get it. Because I knew when I got there I'd want to get it. And uh, I got there, and that person was of no help because they kept encouraging me to get it. And, um, but, you know, in all honesty, I stood there that day. I looked at it. It was something that was nice. It was something that was good. But there were a couple of other things that I knew in my heart that were more needful for the money that I had set aside for that. And um, it was not, it wasn't wrong. There was nothing wrong with it, getting it. But it was not expedient. And I'm going to tell you, one of the hardest things I had to do, especially with the help of this other uh, person, was to walk out of that building and not get that gun. But, But what I'm getting at is there are some things that may not be a right or wrong issue, but is it expedient? Is it something that's going to help us? All right? So, uh, so that, that's a principle there. The second part of that verse, all things are lawful for me, but um, uh, let's see, uh, I will not be brought under the power of any. And so the idea that uh, we don't want to be brought under the power of something. Um, years ago, back when TV Guide was a, a magazine, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, there was a, a poll taken nationally, and they published it in their magazine. And the, the poll was... For $1 million, how many people would be willing to give up television, not for a lifetime, but just for one year? If, if, if we were to give you $1 million, would you give it up for one year? The vast majority, and I'm wanting to say well over the 50% mark, said not even for $1 million would I give television up for one year. And I remember reading that just as a young man. I thought, boy, that thing really has a hold on some people. Uh, you look at, uh, nowadays it's not television as much. Well, maybe it is television, but well, we got so many things that vie for our attention and our affections nowadays. What is it that consumes our time? What is it that we give the most valuable resource that we have to? And that valuable resource is our time. And that will tell us pretty quickly, are we addicted to it? Years, years ago, I, I kid my mom about this. We lived on the end of, uh, in the middle of a street that at the very end of it there was a convenience store. And um, they made fresh coffee down there, and, and they had these big grandma's cookies. Y'all remember those? They were soft and gooey and nice and really, oh, they were good. And every morning, my mom had to have a cup of coffee and a grandma's cookie. And so she'd scrape through the, the, the seat cushions of the house and find a, whatever it was, a dollar fifty, and tell me, and every day, and I had to ride my bike. And it didn't matter if it was pouring down cats and dogs outside. 
I was to ride my bike to the end of the street, and I'd come in sometimes drenched to the bone, but I had her coffee and I had her cookie. And I used to, I give her a hard time about it now, but uh, there was one morning as a young person, it was, it was raining outside, and I said, Mom, can I just wait till the rain's over? No, you need to go now. And uh, I said, Mom, and boy, this is the wrong thing to say, by the way. I said, I think you're addicted to it. She said, I am not addicted. Now go get my coffee. <laughs> she said, so I kid her about that now. She said, I did not say it that way. But as a kid, you know how things get big. And, you know, we talk about stuff like that, but it's amazing how many things have control over us that we don't even realize. And even when somebody tries to carefully and lovingly tell us about it, well, it's not me. We, we tend to not, not do it. What are we supposed to be controlled by? The Bible says the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So we have a principle there. So we ask it. We form it in a question. Is this having control over me? If it does, whether it's a right thing or a wrong thing, if it has control over me, then I don't want to have a part of it. First um, Corinthians chapter number. Uh, let's see here. First Corinthians chapter ten, and uh, verse number twenty-three. 1 Corinthians 10.23. I'm going to give you several of these, and then we'll, we'll finish up here and we'll be done. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. That sounds similar to the other one we read, but then the second part of this verse says, All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So we ask the question, does it edify? When I was a youth pastor, uh, teenagers can be mean. You ever notice that? You know, teenagers can be mean to each other. You, know, you ever seen, you guys got a big family. Your, your brothers and sisters ever mean to each other? <laughs> Not with mom and dad's permission, I imagine. Uh, sometimes people, and, and you know what I found this? I found adults can be too. And so we, we came up with a little song that was based on Scripture. And every time we were on a youth activity and I heard a, young, uh, a teenager make a, a, a cruel remark to another teenager, we had to sing it as a group. The whole group had to sing it. And it was, be ye kind one to another, <laughs> tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And we would sing that song, and they'd be like, oh, Brother Greg. But, you know, it wasn't very long before they started saying kind things to each other. Because I want to make sure that what we were saying was edifying, that it was building up. Does it edify? So we form it in the form of a question. Um, let's, uh, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, verses 4, and we're going to read several verses here. And bear with me, we'll be done here in about two or three hours. <laughs> Not At least by then. No, we, re we really will be brief. If I don't get through very much here, we'll, we'll finish next week. Verse number 4, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in idols, in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. Is there any such thing as a real idol? Anybody here think that? The idols have any power. They're nothing more than stone, right, or whatever they're made out of. There's nothing to them. There's no power that they have. And that's what Paul was saying here. An idol is nothing in the world. And that there is none other but uh, none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, 
the Father, of whom all, are all things. And we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat it as a thing offered as unto an idol. In other words, the meat that had been sacrificed to an idol in that day, some people ate it, and some people refrained from eating it because they gave too much credence to the fact that it had been sacrificed to an idol. Paul was saying, hey, that's just a stone there. Yes, they did it under pretense, but it's just meat, and it's just stone. There's nothing to it. And notice he says this, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So even though they had this, this standard of, hey, I'm not going to eat meat that's been, that's been sacrificed to idols. I'm not eating that. Paul said, whoa, 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 whoa. That idol's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that meat. That's, that's a weaker brother. He doesn't know yet that. And he says this, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a what? Stumbling block to them that are weak. Was there anything really wrong with eating that meat that had been sacrificed to idols? No, there was nothing wrong with that. Were there some that thought that it was wrong? Yes, there were. And Paul said, I don't want to offend them. Therefore, I'm going to abstain from eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. So we find a principle. Is what I'm about to do, even though I have liberty to do it, even though it's not wrong, is it going to become a stumbling block for someone? If it is, then I'm going to stay away from it. Are we starting to catch on some of these things, how to make application of them? Not only do we find them, not only do we know them, but now we know how to put them into practice in our life. We form a question about them. All right, let me give you one more real quick here. Uh, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. I'll just give you this one. I've got a, if you want a list of some to get principles from, I've got a whole list here I'll give you later on, and you're welcome to them. But I would encourage you, get in God's Word and find them. They're in there. They're all over the place. All right? 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, and uh, let's look in um, verse number 15. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Do we find a principle there? Absolutely. We're not, going to, we're not going to exchange evil for evil. So a great question is, am I just trying to get revenge? <laughs> Would be a good question for that one. Am I striking out just simply because somebody else did me wrong? Because I'm not going to render evil for evil, am I? That's not what I want to do. All right, let's see verse number 16. This, boy, you've got a bunch of them here. Verse number 16, rejoice evermore. Do you think there's a principle there? Am I rejoicing in, the, in everything? Uh, even when things aren't bad, <laughs> or things are bad, we have to rejoice in them. All right? I rejoice everyone. What about in verse number 17? Pray without ceasing. You think there's a, a principle in there? That's a pretty easy one, isn't it? Okay. How about in verse number 18? In everything, give thanks. You think there's a principle in that scripture? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. How about verse 19? Quench not the Spirit. Pretty, pretty simple here. All right. 
Verse number 20, despise not prophesyings. All right. Verse number 20, you know, don't, don't get mad at God's Word just because you don't like it, because <laughs> it didn't agree with the way you're living. All right. Uh, what about uh, number 21? Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. You think there's a principle there about holding fast? Maybe. How about verse 22? Abstain from all appearance of evil. Boy, we could do well to apply that one, couldn't we? All right. So I'm not going to belabor the point. Are you seeing the pattern here of what we're doing? Okay. So this was a help to me. When this evangelist came and said, look, when you find these truths, make them a question. All of a sudden, it's like, ding, 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 ding. All of this stuff that I had known but wasn't living, all of a sudden it became easier for me to say, I can put that into practice. I can start asking some questions here. And so I took and I started in, the, in my little record that I had. I had a spiral ring notebook that I had written a lot of things down the summer of my junior year, uh, between my junior and senior year. And I, I started writing the questions beside what I would learned. The ones that I could form into principles that I wanted to apply in my life that were going to build the character in me. I began to write those down as questions. And then I reviewed them often. It's not enough to simply write them down. You ever, you ever write a, try to write a journal when you were younger? Some of you ladies probably did this more than guys did. Uh, you kept a diary or something. And years later, I'm talking, you had to get the dust off of it, get it out of the attic, out of the, the boxes. You read it, and you're like, oh, I had forgotten all about that. But it was years before you remembered it. Can I tell you this? When we write these things down, keep them next to your Bible. And, and come up maybe with a systematic way of doing it. Maybe as you read your Bible, I'm going to go back and I'm going to read one page of my, of my stuff that I got three months ago. And then the next time I read, I'm going to read the next page. And then you just keep going back through them and review them often. Somebody said this years ago, repetition is the key to learning. And uh, did you all know that, that repetition is the key to learning? Um, I try to tell my kids that repetition is the key to learning. And we repeat that over and over, but the fact that repetition is the key to learning. And <laughs> you're getting what I'm doing here? Repetition is the key to learning. Okay. I was in college, and we had to do a, um, a speech on, um, I'm trying to remember what speech it was. It was on trying to teach and get your point across about it. And it had to be, uh, between a certain time, like I think three to five minutes, something like that. And I worked. I wasn't the best at speech. I tried and tried and tried. I, man, I came up. I finally got a speech. I think I got a B-plus in speech class that year or something like that. But there was a guy that got up, and he did that. He got up, and all he did was say, repetition is the key to learning. He did it ten times and sat down. was way under the time limit. And that guy got an A on his, on his speech. But the truth is, repetition is the key to learning. You'll leave here tonight and you'll think that. So we go back and we review. We, we, Peter said, I think it was Peter that said this. He said, I stir up your pure, pure minds by way of remembrance. I'm not teaching anything new. I'm just trying to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, things you already know. And there are times that we need to do that. All right. Um, review them systematically. Work at memorizing the passages associated with them. Work at memorizing the passages that are associated with them. As we get older, that gets harder. But that does not mean that we give up on it. We still labor. We may only learn one verse a week instead of five verses a week like we did when we were kids, but at least learn the one verse a week. Don't give up on memorizing. Okay? And um, 
The next one I've got down here, form it into question, review them systematically, work at memorizing the passages. Number four, discuss them often with other Christians. Discuss them often with other Christians. This is going to do two things for us. Number one, it's going to help us to avoid an error in our principle interpretation. It helps when we share a principle that we've gotten from God's Word with somebody else because if it's heresy, they're more apt to point it out to us. If it's something we've completely misunderstood in Scripture, they're going to help us. As iron sharpened and iron, the Bible talks about, the idea of that. The second thing that it does by, helping, uh, by discussing with somebody else is it develops a level of accountability. If I come to you and I say, boy, I learned this principle this week in my life, and then next week you see me doing something contrary to that principle, you're going to come to me and say, Brother Greg, I thought you, I thought you just found this principle. So not only is it going to keep us from error, it's going to instill in us a level of accountability. And I think that's good. I think the Bible teaches of that, uh, that we are to help one another. If a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And that idea of accountability one to another. <clears throat> okay? We're going to quit there. It's ten minutes after eight. I did not get to where we wanted to be tonight. <laughs> and that will be our last week, I guess, next Wednesday, Lord willing. Um, and that is we're going to talk about five areas of our life where these principles need to be applied specifically. And we'll talk a little bit about that and give you some examples of it. I hope some of this will be a help. Um, I did this a couple of years ago when I first became pastor here. But it's something that I believe every few years as people come and go in our church that we learn these things and know them. Um, and I say, I will say this, we will... We'll have that lesson next Wednesday, Lord willing. Uh, we are living in the last moments, I believe, of the last days. I came across an article this morning. I was doing some research and came across an article this morning that apparently uh, the European Union is proposing that they mesh all of their economies into one economy. And I thought, you know, when we look at the end times... We see a one-world government. We see a one-world currency, one-world bank, one-world religion. You know, three or four months ago, we looked at that and said, we couldn't get people to quit fighting long enough to come together and, and do these things. And now we're living in a time where people are actually offering it to each other. Can I tell you this? Uh, we're living, if not this round, we're living very near to the end times. I believe that. And I say that to say this. If we're ever going to do something for the Lord... We need to do it now. Now is the time. So I want to encourage you in that. All right? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. Lord, help us to learn and to glean from its pages the things that you want us to learn. I pray that you'd help it to instruct us in your righteousness. That we will uh, learn to be more of what we ought to be. That we can become vessels of honor that we can become lights to this world and that we can become salt that has not lost its savor. Lord, I pray that through the, the process of growing and walking with you, that you will open our hearts and our minds and our lives to the opportunities that you have every day for us to serve you, to share the gospel with those that come across our path, Lord, as you open doors of opportunity so many times, 
I pray that you would help us to be sensitive to it, to see it for what it is, and to take full advantage of the opportunity. And then, Father, that you would help guide us and direct us in the days and weeks ahead as we pour into your word and we saturate our lives with your word. And look for the things that you've given to us that you want us to guide our lives by, that you want us to live by. And, Lord, may we get our eyes off of this world and quit looking at the distance that we are from them and start putting our eyes upon you and make sure that that distance to you is as close as we can possibly be. I pray that you'll dismiss us now with your blessings. Thank you for the time together, the time of fellowship with your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed.